You know, sometimes, uh, sometimes praise and worship singing is so good, you just sometimes feel uh, like we could just end it right there. <laughs> but I have a session for you. <laughs> but it is so true, guys. Some of you probably have been through more difficult things than others. Others are going to go through difficult things that you cannot imagine. It is easy to say Christ is worthy when things go well. The real test comes when things don't. Because when things don't, and when you have moments where it seems as if God is slaying you, your faith will be tested. Is he worthy? He is. And I want to be transparent with you that you may have doubts along the way. Just because you're a Christian doesn't mean you're immediately perfect. Sorry. You know, it's not the strength of your faith that will grant you access into heaven. It is the object of your faith. If you look to Jesus Christ alone, you will be saved. There have been times in my life where my eyes don't see Christ as worthy. It seems because of the circumstances. But I am reminded he is worthy. And he has your good in mind. Can't forget that. For those who know him, all things work together for good, and all things work together for God's glory. And in Job as well, he says, shall we not, shall we receive blessing from the Lord and not difficulty? Is Christ worthy? That is what this week has been all about. I want to pray again briefly, and then we'll look at a few things this evening. Dearly Father, I pray that every heart in this room would be asking that question to themselves. <clears throat> is Christ really worthy? And I pray that it is the answer of every heart in this room without a shadow of a doubt. Yes, he is. We pray for you to move, even tonight, even this moment, you're working in their hearts even when they cannot see it. I trust that. I pray that you would bring the fruit of repentance and faith that only your spirit can do. Please, Lord, arrest our minds and our hearts as we consider truth this evening. It's in your name we pray. Amen. The last two sessions, specifically, we've been looking at the cross. And I asked a question towards the end of this morning session. You've seen the cross. It's not enough to see the cross. How do you respond? How will you respond? How have you responded? Tonight, 
we're going to ask that question. How will you respond to the cross? There is a choice to be made. But before we get into some of what I want to talk about, I want, to, I want you to imagine this scenario. I want you to imagine if someone locked all the doors, barred off all the windows, and someone lit this whole building on fire. Of course, panic would start to set in. Smoke would start to accumulate. Probably there would be a few of you running around, banging on doors, banging on windows, trying to get out, holding your breath so that you can take another, looking for a way out. You start to feel the heat of the flame as it continues to consume the building. What may have seemed like a small fire now you know is life-threatening. You begin to despair as you continue banging on the doors, banging on the windows. You are just about to lose all hope when someone shouts, there's a way. Someone shouts, we've got a door open. In that moment, you are faced with a choice. You can keep banging on the window that you've been banging on. You can keep trying to open the door that will not open, and you will die. Or you can listen and live. I would imagine in that scenario, if that were to actually play out, we would all hopefully listen and live. We would make our way to the door. We would get out. No one would be foolish enough to not listen. And yet, young person, this is the exact same scenario, except infinitely greater, that you are in right now having seen Jesus upon the cross. You too are faced with a choice. Because a way has been opened. A way that was formerly shut. Although this way is not to just escape the flames of a building, but the flames of eternity that will come upon sin. You're faced with a choice. You can look at Jesus on the cross and you can say, that's nice, I'm still going to try to do it my own way. I'm still going to keep banging on the same window that will not open. Or maybe you say, I've got time. I'll get out later. Or you can look and listen to the call of the gospel and live. This is your choice. Now, you might say, well, what do you mean? Is there really an expectation of judgment? Do you know the scripture says this? I want you to heed this warning. Because if you see Jesus and reject him, you are more guilty than those who have never heard Jesus before. If you see him in all of his glory and you reject him, listen to what this passage says about this. Hebrews 10, 28 through 31 says this, anyone who has set aside the law of Moses 
dies without mercy on the testimony of two or three witnesses, how much severer punishment do you think he will deserve who has trampled underfoot the Son of God and has regarded as unclean the blood of the covenant by which he was sanctified and has insulted the Spirit of grace? For we know him who said, Vengeance is mine, I will repay. And again, the Lord will judge his people. It is a terrifying thing to fall into the hands of the living God. It is a terrifying thing. That should not be hidden from you. Anybody who tries to hide that truth from you is not teaching the whole scriptures. It is terrifying to fall into the hands of the living God. There is a very real hell that exists. Sometimes when we think of hell, we think of it in such a way that maybe it seems scary, but we stop pondering about it. Maybe you just think hell is pure physical agony. I want you to imagine a place where there is full, unrelenting, endless agony of the body, of the mind, and of the soul. It is one thing to feel pain, right? It is one thing to feel it. But some of you who have suffered loss or suffered heartache unimaginable know that sometimes internal pain is even worse. You can't quench it. You can't stop it. There's no reprieve. Hell is a place where, yes, sins will be punished. Yes, there is great pain. But there is also the anguish of soul knowing that that emptiness that we talked about that only God can fill, you know in your soul, for those who are in hell, it will never be filled. And not only that, there is the mental anguish of knowing there is no reprieve, there is no escape. It is irreversible. I do not want you to fall into the hands of the living God. And neither does God, because he sent Jesus for you. Jonathan Edwards says this, sometimes we forget, but it's important that you're very honest with yourself that for those who do not know Christ, those who see the cross and regard it as unclean, regard it as worthless, you are but a moment away from this hell. Jonathan Edwards says, the sword of divine justice is every moment brandished, that means ready to strike, over their heads, and tis nothing but the hand of mercy and God's mere will that holds it back. Do you get that? In but a moment, God could strike. Now, sometimes when we think of hell, you might think, I don't want to think about it. In fact, this is so anticipated, Jonathan Edwards in the same sermon says, almost every natural man that hears of hell flatters himself that he shall escape it. 
He depends on himself for his own security. He flatters himself in what he has done, in what he is now doing, or what he intends to do. He flatters himself that hell would not be for him. And I think that is the state of those who do not know Christ. You think that maybe you won't inherit hell on the basis of something you've done in the past or something you're currently doing or a decision you will make in the future. Do not flatter yourself that you will escape if that is your hope. This is why we lift up Christ. You see, the cross is the answer. The cross is the solution. Christ has made the way. How will you respond? And there are those of you who have run to Jesus. And it is the very reality of the hell I just described that when you turned to Jesus, you exploded with praise. You can't come to Christ with with any sort of, of, I guess, like it's just okay. You can't just come to Christ and say, wow, this is, I guess, kind of cool. Those who come to Christ see what they've been saved from and they explode with praise. Maybe not verbally, but in their heart. There's no such thing as an apathetic Christian. Because you've seen him as worthy because of who he is, because of his sacrifice, and because of what he saved you from. So tonight, I want us to consider a few examples from Scripture when they are faced with a choice. Those who either see God or see Christ, and they're faced with a choice. And in these examples, we will see there are some that refuse to listen. And there are some that listen and live. The first point tonight is this. Flee and live or stay and die. Genesis 19, I want you to turn there. Flee and live or stay and die. This first example comes from the Old Testament, of course. We're going to see some people make a choice. And what we're going to see is, in these examples, a pattern of these people. They either see God as worthy, they see Christ as worthy of obeying and worthy of listening to, worthy of praising, or they reject God. In this passage, we read about Sodom and Gomorrah. You may have heard of these infamous cities. These cities were known for vile wickedness. So much wickedness that God was going to destroy them. Abraham even tried to plea for these cities. If I could just find 50 righteous men, would you spare them? God says, yes, he can't find them. If there are 20 righteous in these cities, will you spare them? Yes, I will. 
Abraham couldn't find them. There was apparently not even 10 righteous people in the city, in these cities. That's incredible. There weren't even 10. God hated their wickedness. They engaged in all kinds of wickedness and sexual sin, among other things, and God had finally come to destroy them. But God is kind. He sends two angels, two messengers, to the household of Lot. And we're going to see the first decision tonight in this household. I want you to look with me at verse 12. Then the two men, these are the angels, by the way, disguised as men. Then the two men said to Lot, Whom else have you here? A son-in-law and your sons and your daughters and whomever you have in the city, bring them out of the place. For we are about to destroy this place because their outcry has become so great before the Lord that the Lord has sent us to destroy it. Lot went out and spoke to his sons-in-law who were to marry his daughters and said, Up, get out of the place, for the Lord will destroy the city. But he appeared to his sons-in-law to be jesting or joking. When morning dawned, the angels urged Lot, saying, Up, take your wife and your two daughters who are here, or you will be swept away in the punishment of the city. But he hesitated. So the men seized his hand and the hand of his wife and the hand of his two daughters, for the compassion of the Lord was upon him. And they brought him out and put him outside the city. Go down to verse 23. The sun had risen over the earth when Lot came to Zoar. Then the Lord rained on Sodom and Gomorrah brimstone and fire from the Lord out of heaven. And he overthrew those cities and all the valley and all the inhabitants of the cities and what grew on the ground. But his wife from behind him looked back and she became a pillar of salt. We're going to zoom in on verses 12 through 14 there. I want you to see the very clear message. Certain destruction is foretold. You can either flee and live, or you can stay and die. They were at risk if they did not flee. Lot told the sons-in-laws, and they thought Lot was joking. They thought, there's no way this is true. He's telling us a story. This is a usual day in Sodom. It's going to be the same thing tomorrow. Life is good. Pleasure is here. What do you mean get out of the city? I'm not leaving this. They doubted. They stayed. Even Lot hesitated, even after this urgent message. And I want to remind you of what verse 16 says. The men, the angels of God, seized him and brought them out even though they hesitated. Why? For the compassion of the Lord was upon him. If you know Christ, that statement is true for you. If you know Christ, God has shown you compassion that you did not deserve. You only fled because your eyes were open. You only fled because he dragged you out. 
And we see what happens to these sons-in-law. They thought he was joking. They stayed and they died. You might say, well, what does this have to do with us? There are plenty of people, and there may be some in this room, that think it's just a nice fairy tale, what the Bible has to say. You must be joking when you speak about judgment. You must be joking when you talk about that. God does not lie. If the Word of God says it, it is true. You see, those who disobey, reject God, and don't heed His warning do not see Him as a God worthy of following. Do not see Him as a God worth obeying. They don't believe that God really has your best interest in mind. You see, there is something very important that this story tells us. And it's a pattern. It's actually symbolic of your life. You can either stay in your sins, think I'm joking, think the Word of God is joking, and you will die. You might think raining fire and brimstone sounds pretty bad, but it's far worse. We've already described what hell is like. The question then, when you see the cross, is this. Will you be like the sons-in-law? Will you think it's a mere joke? It's not real. Will you stay and die? Or will you flee and live? Just like this judgment happened, the judgment of God one day will come. Christ will return. We just sang about it in that song. There will be a day when there will be no time left. This is why the scripture says, today is the day of salvation. Flee and live. Stay and die. Secondly, you have a choice to lay it all down and live or hoard it and die. Mark 10 I want you to see this. Turn to Mark 10. We've just compared really Lot and his family who by the compassion of God alone fled and the sons-in-law who stayed and died. But here we encounter a young man. Mark 10, verse 17, says this. As he was setting out on a journey, this is Jesus, a man ran up to him and knelt before him and asked him, Good teacher, what shall I do to inherit eternal life? And Jesus said to him, Why do you call me good? No one is good except God alone. You know the commandments, do not murder, do not commit adultery, do not steal, do not bear false witness, do not defraud, honor your father and mother. And he said to him, teacher, I've kept all these things from my youth up. Looking at him, Jesus felt a love for him and said to him, one thing you lack, go and sell all you possess and give to the poor and you will have treasure in heaven and come Follow me. But at these words, 
he was saddened, and he went away grieving, for he was one who owned much property. And Jesus, looking around, said to his disciples, how hard it will be for those who are wealthy to enter the kingdom of God. You will not see Christ as worthy if he is just another thing that's worthy of your affections. That's not seeing him as worthy. If Christ is merely a nice add-on to your life, he's not worthy in your eyes. He must be alone worthy. He must be more worthy than anything else in your life. This young man saw Jesus as desirable. He went up to Jesus. He sought him out. And he said, what must I do to be saved? You see, he was asking the right questions. Some of you might be asking the right questions. What must I do? And Jesus is not giving a command of something that we all should do, per se. But he is asking a question to reveal the heart of this young man. He is going to expose, because God knows your thoughts, right? He is exposing in this young man's heart, he doesn't view Christ as worthy above all. He loves his riches. And it is because he loves something greater than God that he goes away sorrowful. You cannot and will not follow Christ if you don't see him as worthy. But by way of contrast, I want you to consider this story. And I'll read it to you just for the sake of time. This is the rich young, the rich young ruler I just read. This next story you probably also know. It says this in Luke 19. He entered Jericho and was passing through. Very similar start to the story. There was a man called by the name of Zacchaeus. He was a chief tax collector and he was rich. Very similar to the rich young ruler. Very wealthy. Zacchaeus was trying to see who Jesus was and was unable because of the crowd, for he was small in stature. So he ran on ahead of the crowd in order to see him, for he was about to pass through that way. When Jesus came to the place, he looked up and said to him, Zacchaeus, hurry, come down, for today I must stay at your house. And he hurried and came down and received him gladly. When they saw it, they all began to grumble, saying this, he, Jesus, has gone to be the guest of a man who is a sinner. Zacchaeus stopped and said to the Lord, Behold, Lord, half of my possessions I will give back to the poor, and if I have defrauded anyone of anything, I will give back four times as much. And Jesus said to him, Today salvation has come to this house. Salvation came to this house because he's giving money? No, that's not what's being said. Salvation came to his house because Zacchaeus sees Christ as more worthy than money. He sees Jesus and he says, I see Jesus. I don't care about my money. I don't care anymore. They can have it. I've wronged them. I'll pay them back fourfold. 
And it says this to end the passage, for the Son of Man has come to seek and to save that which was lost. This is why we started the week the way we did. You don't come to Jesus with your works. You don't come to Jesus saying, I'm pretty good. I guess I kind of need you though. You come to Jesus lost. You see, the rich young ruler came with his self-righteousness. He said, see, I've done all this. Zacchaeus said, I know I'm lost. I know it. I've been lost the whole time. Zacchaeus saw himself as deficient, lacking in need. You know it is better to be lost so that you might be found than to think you are found and actually be lost. So much better. This is why I had you think to yourself, how do you know if you're saved? Because one of the most dangerous things is the person who thinks they are saved but are not. That is dangerous. But to you who knows you are lost, the Son of Man has come to seek you and to save you. You see, once Zacchaeus saw Jesus, he was forever changed. And this, again, is something we need to consider. You have the choice when you see Christ. And by the way, you might say, well, I don't have a lot of money. How do these stories apply to me? Fill in the blank with whatever you think you do have. Fill in the blank with whatever you desire. Fill in the blank with whatever your pursuits are. You have the choice when you see Christ. You can lay it all down because of someone better. Or you can hoard all of that up. And even if your wildest pursuits come true, but you don't know Christ, you are lacking. You have missed it. You can lay it all down and live or hoard it all up and die. Thirdly, you can run to Christ and live. Or you can run away and die. We are about to see an example, a couple of examples from Scripture here about men that were sinners. Both of these men, in fact, all three of these men are all sinners. But what matters is this. Where do you go when you're convicted of your sin? When you know you're guilty, where do you run to? You can run to Christ and live or run away and die. I want you to consider the life of Judas. You probably know the story of Judas. He is also an infamous character. But I want you to think of Judas as one who is kind of like you in this sense. He was around God all the time. He was around Jesus. He saw the miracles. He heard the teaching. He was around godly people. He saw this over and over and over again. And what happened in the end? He betrayed the Lord of the universe. He betrayed God become flesh. 
For what? A mere 30 pieces of silver. Because Judas loved money. And again, when, you, when I say money, I want you to fill in the blank of whatever it is you think you love. Judas loved money. And he sold out Jesus for 30 pieces of silver. And here's the truth. That joy from that silver did not last. In fact, the conviction fell upon him so greatly that we read about his response in Matthew 27. This is basically immediately after doing this. When Judas betrayed Jesus, says this, Then when Judas, who had betrayed him, saw that he had been condemned, that's Jesus, had been condemned to death, he felt remorse. And he returned the 30 pieces of silver to the chief priests and elders, saying, I have sinned by betraying innocent blood. Do you see? Judas saw his sin. This seems like he's on the right track. He saw it. He knew he sinned. He returned the money. But they said, what is that to us? See to that yourself. And he threw the pieces of silver into the temple sanctuary and departed. And he went away and hanged himself. The one who had walked with Jesus, who had heard a gospel of repentance and forgiveness, ran away from Christ and died in his sins. When I think of Judas, I see a man overcome with sorrow over sin. This is why you must be careful in here. Sorrow over sin does not mean you're saved. Mere sorrow over sin does not equate to salvation. It is where you run to when you feel that sorrow. Judas, I truly believe this. Of course, in God's predetermined plan, he ordained that Judas was not of the elect. But I do believe this. If Judas would have repented, he would have been forgiven. He would have been forgiven. If Judas would have ran to Christ and said, I see my sin. I know the truth. Please forgive me. Jesus would have forgiven him. But instead of running to Christ, he runs away, perhaps thinking his guilt is too great. His offense is too great. Maybe he thought he was beyond saving. He goes away in sorrow over sin, hangs himself, and dies. But then I want you to think of another disciple, Peter. Peter also walked with Jesus, and Peter loved Jesus. We know this. But Jesus even foretold that Peter, the one who loved Jesus very much, would deny him before men three times. Peter, of course, rejected that notion. Didn't think he would do it. But in Luke 22, we see that after Jesus was arrested, 
Peter denies Jesus three times saying, Woman, I do not know him. By the way, do you know what these denials are in effect saying? I want nothing to do with this man. I don't know him. When asked about being one of his disciples, he says, Man, I am not. I don't follow Christ. When accused of being seen with Jesus, he says, Man, I do not know what you are talking about. And after these three denials, the rooster crowed. Peter remembered what Jesus said, and he also wept. But where does Peter go? I would imagine that would be pretty heavy. Thinking about what you had done, having walked with Jesus, saying you would never deny him, and then denying and ever knowing him three times. You might think, well, what does Peter, what is Peter going to do? Is Peter going to run away, hang himself and die? No. We actually see a Peter that anticipates and celebrates the resurrected Savior. In the Gospels, it says this, now they were Mary Magdalene and Joanna and Mary the mother of James. Also the other women were with them, were telling these things to the apostles. But these words appeared to them as nonsense and they would not believe them. When they reported back to the household of the fact that there was an empty tomb, pl plenty said nonsense, nonsense. But Peter got up and he ran to the tomb stooping and looking in and he saw the linen wrappings only and he went away to his home marveling at what had happened and when he saw Jesus what a reunion that would be because he didn't run away from Jesus because he knew his only hope was in Jesus he knew he needed a resurrected savior he knew his sin was great but his savior was greater he anticipated and celebrated the Lord's resurrection. He was forgiven. He was restored and used mightily of God. But you compare the sins, right? Yes, Judas betrayed Jesus. He handed him over. And of course, remember what we read in Acts. It was the predetermined plan of God that Jesus would be handed over. Judas hands him over, sees his sin, incredibly convicted, runs away and dies. But Peter, when he saw his sin, runs to Christ and lives. This is also no secret. David even emulates this. You talk about a man that has committed sins worthy of death. David, the man after God's own heart, committed murder, adultery, and constant deceit and laziness. But when he became aware of his sin, he goes to God. This is why it's not enough to just be sorrowful over sin. You should be sorrowful. Yes, that's good. You should see your sin as offensive to God. But your sorrow must lead to repentance. This is what 2 Corinthians 7.10 says this. For the sorrow 
that is according to the will of God produces a repentance without regret leading to salvation. But the sorrow of the world produces death. There is a godly sorrow that leads you to the cross and a worldly sorrow that leads you to anywhere else. And it always ends in death. Fourthly, you can see Christ as Lord and live, or you can reject Him as Lord and die. And I want you to consider a couple other individuals. In fact, the very event we've been talking about for the last two sessions, the cross, we're going to look to the right and the left. We're going to look at the thieves. You may not know this because you, of course, uh, probably have heard one thief did see Christ as the Messiah. But you may have forgotten that there was a time when they both seemed to not. You might say, well, what do you mean? Mark 15, 32 says this. This is Christ on the cross. Let this Christ, the King of Israel, now come down from the cross so that we may see and believe. Those who were crucified with him were also insulting him. The thieves on the cross, to his right and to his left, were insulting the Messiah. But at some point, as they hung on the cross, God, in his compassion and kindness, takes off the scales of one of the thieves. In the dying breaths, he allows one to see Christ as worthy. Luke 23, 39 through 43 says this, one of the criminals who, were hanged there, who was hanged there was hurling abuse at him saying, are you not the Christ? Save yourself and us. But the other thief answered and rebuked him and said, do you not even fear God since you are under the same sentence of condemnation? And we indeed are suffering justly for we are receiving what we deserve for our deeds. But this man has done nothing wrong. And he was saying, Jesus, remember me when you come in your kingdom. I want you to think about that. That doesn't sound like the prayer that we're told to pray. And that's not to say uh, saying a prayer is bad. I just mean... This is what I meant earlier when it's, it's not about the strength of your faith, it's about the object of your faith. He probably didn't even know what to say. All he could say was, I see Christ. He's done nothing wrong. He's clearly the Son of God. I don't even know how to ask this, but please remember me. In his dying breaths, maybe that's all he could muster. And Jesus said to him, Truly I say to you, today you shall be with me in paradise. I look at the thieves and I say, man, that one thief in his dying moments to be forgiven, 
How unworthy. That's right. That's all of us. Unworthy. You remember we spoke about how Jesus was chosen to go to the cross instead of Barabbas? You and I are the Barabbas. Do you see it? We were the ones that should have been hanging on that cross. Jesus takes your place. Barabbas was, had earned death. Jesus did not. Jesus goes to the cross instead of Barabbas. Jesus goes to the cross instead of you and me. And uniquely enough, one of the criminals hanging on the cross, it was not too late for them to be saved. This is why you can see him as Lord and live. Or you can reject him as Lord and die. It's that simple. I think God, of course, in his kind providence, shows us that as an example of the choice you have. You see Christ. You've seen him this week. You've seen him on the cross. How do you view him? Some of you view him and mock him in your hearts. Some of you view him and say, please remember me. My whole life is worthy of hell. But please remember me. And Jesus says, you will be with me in paradise. You can bow the knee because every knee will bow. Philippians 2 says it. At the name of Jesus, every knee will bow of those who are in heaven and are on earth and under the earth that every tongue will confess that Jesus Christ is Lord to the glory of God the Father. Christ is worthy whether you want it or not. You will all acknowledge it one day. You will choose to bow the knee willingly now or have your legs broken to bow one day. And you will see it because it's true. This is the Christ on the cross. And as we consider these examples, as we consider, uh, you should be asking, which of these am I? When you think of Judas and Peter, you should be asking yourself, am I sorrowful over sin, but I don't really want to follow Christ? I don't want to do away with my sin. I'm sorry about it. It hurts. I see the consequences, but I kind of want to keep sinning. Or maybe you see yourself like Judas and you say, my sin's too great. Why even try? Please don't do that. Please don't run away. Judas did, and he died. Maybe you are like the sons-in-law that think this is kind of silly. That the judgment, okay, sure, sure, it's going to come. You must be joking. Or you can flee and live. When you think of Zacchaeus and you think of the rich young ruler, which are you? Do you come to Christ with some sort of self-righteousness saying, hey, Christ, kind of want to team up with you here. How can, uh, how can I be like used in your kingdom and all? Can I be like a general? 
You have nothing to offer. That's hard to hear. You come to Christ with empty hands and you say, I'm unworthy. But you are worthy. Please save me. I want to challenge you. For those of you who identify with those who did receive Christ. Peter, who ran to Christ. Maybe you're in this room and you've run to Christ. Praise the Lord. Be reminded in your heart that you only did so because God showed compassion to you. I don't want you to forget it. Let that praise fuel every decision you make. By the way, that's what we're going to be talking about these next few sessions. If you see Christ as worthy and you've run to Him, you change. You do not remain the same. And that's not to earn salvation. Salvation's already been earned, but you can't see Christ as worthy and go away unaffected by Him. But there are some who maybe are thinking right now, I see Christ I'm sorrowful over sin. But I don't know if I want to run to Christ. The Bible says this, that there's spiritual warfare going on right now when the word of God is proclaimed. Seeds are sown upon the field of your heart. Satan and his minions are trying to snatch them up. And I think some of the things that may prevent you from coming to Christ is maybe a fear of man. Maybe there will be, there's some of you that have already made a profession of faith, but you've seen this week and you've thought, I haven't seen Christ as worthy. And so maybe you're fearful of if I come to Christ though, then I have to out myself as having some sort of false conversion. Who cares? I'm serious. Who cares? I hope you know you have a room of people that do not care about that. I don't care at all if you've already made a profession. If you see yourself as dead in your sins, run right now. Don't let the fear of man stop you. Don't let potentially this, this fear of missing out on what the world has to offer. You hear a lot of people say, wow, this whole Christianity thing is just, just for when you're old or past your prime. Once you've lived it up a bit. Oh, we're going to see in these next few days, you do not want the wor what the world has to offer. It's all fleeting pleasures that will destroy. Not to mention, you are presuming that there is a tomorrow. You are presuming that. Don't let the fear of missing out on some sort of worldliness keep you from coming. It's worthless. It's worthless. The Bible says to not store up your treasures on earth where moth and rust destroy, where robbers come in and steal, but to store up your treasures in heaven where none of that can be taken away. There's warfare going on in your heart right now for those of you who maybe want to come but are wondering what are the consequences of that. Don't even think about that. You just run. You just run. So will you believe? And if you have believed, don't ever get tired of this love of Christ. Because you never graduate from the cross. 
It is the fuel to godly living. Will you believe or will you reject him and follow your own passions, pursuits, and desires? I want to end our time with a quote from Martin Lloyd-Jones. It is your reaction to this. This is from his book, The Cross. It is your reaction to this that decides whether you are a Christian or not. Do not tell me about your good works. I'm not interested. Do not tell me you are a church member. I'm not a bit interested. Are you glorying in the cross? Is this everything to you? Is this life to you? Are you ready to die rather than deny this glorious message? Your eternal, everlasting destiny depends on this one thing. Have you seen that God has provided there on the cross the only way whereby you can be forgiven and become a child of God and go on to inherit the glories of eternity? May God have mercy upon us all and by His Spirit open our eyes to see the glory of the cross. Let's pray. Lord, we, we beg you that you would help us see the glory of Christ and his work on the cross. We beg you that you would remove any sort of hindrance that would keep one from coming to you. We beg you because you are more powerful than Satan. You are more powerful than any force of darkness. The light shines in the darkness and the darkness has not overcome it. We pray, Lord, that the light of Christ would shine into dead, dark hearts. That they would be made to beat for the first time. That they would run and live. That they would see you as Lord and live. And for those in this room that know you, may they never grow weary of this message. Through your work on the cross, you have shown compassion on us that we do not deserve. We are forever in your debt. And it is a light thing to live for you in the short amount of days we have on this earth. And it's altogether worth it. Because one day we will see you face to face. Our faith will become sight. This is not a made up story. We will get to see you. And when we see you, it will be an amazing day. Because there is no one more glorious. In fact, we're going to need new eyes to be able to see it because our eyes couldn't even handle the glory. Help us, Lord. We desperately need you as we ask every session. Pray this in your name. Amen.